1 John 4, we're going to read verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let's love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray for God's help as we look at his word together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us this morning a fresh hunger for your word, a fresh expectancy that you will speak to us, that you will change us by looking at your word together. We pray that this would indeed be the case, that as we together in the next few minutes look at this wonderful passage, that you would speak to us, that you would impact us, and we pray that this word would stay with us this week, not just for this hour. We pray this for your glory. Amen. I am reliably informed by the internet that over the next four days, some 189 million red roses will be bought, along with 35 million heart-shaped boxes of chocolates. In total, $14.7 billion spent, and that is just in the U.S., Worldwide, one billion cards sent. In case some men are confused, I am talking about Valentine's Day coming up, yes, this Thursday. And there is no doubt that Valentine's Day has been a big success, certainly for the advertising companies. They've done very well to get it so ingrained in our culture today. But I want to suggest that it's not just the advertising company's success, which means that Valentine's Day sticks in our calendar. I suggest that there is something deeply profound about what lies behind Valentine's Day, which strikes a chord in each one of us. It it taps into a desire that we all have. And of course, that desire is that we all long to be loved. We love to be loved. We, we crave to be loved by others. We have a deep need for love. Bertrand Russell once wrote, the root of the matter is a very old-fashioned thing, a, a thing so simple I am almost ashamed to mention it. The thing we lack and the thing I need is love. Freddie Mercury, just a few days before he died, said this, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest person. 
Success has brought worldwide idolization and millions of pounds, but it has not allowed me the one thing I need most, a loving, ongoing relationship. We all long to be loved. And it is that desire, that profound need, which in part explains why I think Valentine's Day has become such a big part of our calendar each year. And it is also a difficult time, is it not, for many. Uh, There'll be some in our church family who find Valentine's Day a very difficult season because it reminds them that they're not being loved as they wish they were loved. Maybe they're not in that relationship they crave, or maybe they've lost that relationship that they so enjoyed. Or maybe for others of us here today, uh, we are in relationships, but they're not the kind of loving relationships we thought they would be at a very deep and profound level. It is possible our spouse can fail to meet our ultimate deepest needs for love. And so in a world that cries out for love, in a culture I think which is increasingly starved of true love, one John has some profound insights to offer us. I want to look at these famous verses under, under three headings, which I think will help us uh, get our heads around it. The first one is this. God is the source of love. Glance down with me at verse 7. John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. In many ways, I think this, this verse sums up the whole heart of our reading. It's a call for us to love one another. But do you notice first, uh, behind our love for others stands God's love for the world, for us. It is God's love which is primary. It is, it is initial. It is the first love. It is the source of all love. A few months ago, my, my wife and I were in North Wales on a holiday, and we were walking up in the mountains. And if you know the area just behind Snowdon, there's a, there a massive reservoir up in the hills, just behind the, the foothills of Snowdon. I think there's a picture of that reservoir here. Um, and it's, it's high up in the mountains. And if you stand there, it's a beautiful picture. And that reservoir feeds quite an impressive um, system of pipes and pumps, which takes that water from the high up in the hills down to the valley below. I think it's used to generate power, and it's also, I think, a source of water to the valley below. Uh, just to say, um, my, after taking the picture, my wife and I turned around and headed back to the cafe. We didn't go any further. We're not intrepid uh, mountaineers, in case you were thinking too highly of us, but uh, that's as far as we got. But it was a lovely view. Um, But I think in some ways that reservoir is a picture for how God's love works in the world around us. There is a a vast store of of love, a reservoir of love, which stands above and beyond and behind the world's love. And that is God's eternal, unfailing love. And it is that eternal, divine love which feeds down into the world and into our relationships. But the point is, God is a source of love. And so verse 8, we read, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In other words, if we, if we have come into a relationship with God, if we've experienced something of God, then we must have experienced love. For God is love. 
the very center of the universe, the one who stands behind all of creation and who sustains this world by his word. He is a loving God. And we see this throughout eternity, that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, living in an eternal loving relationship. And in some wonderful way, we are caught up now in that eternal loving relationship as we trust in Christ. God is the source of love. One of the chilling implications of atheism is that if you take God out of the world, you also take love out of the world. For God is the source of love. Whatever chemical reactions we experience in our brain, which we think is love, and indeed which we call love, they are just chemical reactions, a result of endless chance molecules bumping into each other. Whenever we think that we experience love from someone else, no, that's just the chemicals talking in our brains. Not a great conversation starter on Thursday night, as you light the candles, let me just uh, point out. But that is what the world is like if you are an atheist and you allow your worldview to really percolate down into your thinking. If you take God out of the world, you take love out of the world. There is no meaning behind the word love apart from chemical reactions. But of course, there is a God, and he is love. He is the source of love. And it's because God is love, that is why we can and do experience love in this world. And of course, this means that in the chaos of our own human relationships, in the, in the roller coaster ride of living in a world where love is imperfect, there is one person, one being, whose love is stable and steady and steadfast and eternal, which does not fluctuate with time and season. God is love. We all crave to be loved. We crave love. God is the source of love. But there is, of course, a problem now, isn't there? Let me put this problem in the form of a question. How can I be sure of God's love? And for many of us here this morning, this is not an academic question. Not a question of philosophy. It is a real question. It is a question that we need answered to get out of bed tomorrow morning. It is a question that we ask in the middle of suffering. How can I be sure that God does love me? Of course, that is a huge question. I would recommend at this point Sharon Dux's book called Why, which has just come out recently, uh, on this topic of suffering. But our text this morning gives us one very profound insight at this point. And that is our next point. God has shown us his love. Look down with me at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. In other words, the ultimate proof that God does love us is not found in our everyday experience of knowing him. It is not found in our circumstances in and around us. No, it is found in the once for all historical event when God sent his son into the world to die on the cross for us. And verse 10 unpacks why this one gift is sufficient to demonstrate once for all how great God's love is for us. Look down at verse 10. This is love, not that we love God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God has shown us his love. And let's just linger for a moment on verse 10 to think through just how amazing this gift of his son is to us. So this gift of God to us, uh, it was unprovoked. Verse 10 tells us, we did not love God. We did not search for him. We were not friends with him. But no, God instead, unprovoked, sent us his son. He instigated this act of love. Uh, Next, God's gift was precious. I don't have any children yet, but I can only imagine how difficult it would be to give up one of your children. And so just imagine the pain that the father would feel giving up his eternally beloved son to the cross. Next, it was a painful gift. We read verse 10 that his son came to be a sacrifice. He gave his son to experience the severest of deaths. And the physical agony of dying on a physical cross was dwarfed by the spiritual agony of experiencing the full weight of the father's anger for the sin of the world on the son. It was a painful gift. It was a personal gift. John says it was given for our sins. In other words, for for my sins, for your sins. In the giving of this once-for-all gift, God declares through his Son, once and for all, how he feels about the world and about us sitting here this morning. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once said this about God. We may not always be able to trace his hand, but we can always trust his heart. In other words, in our day-in, day-out experience of life, we may not be able to trace God's hand in and through particular circumstances. It can baffle us what God is doing. But the cross shows us God's heart, which lies behind everything he does in this world. A few weeks ago, I came across um, a story about a boy in Australia. You may have seen it on uh, the various news channels. Uh, the, the boy was caught up in a horrendous flood in Australia. I think there's a, a, a rather grainy picture of what happened. This boy was in a flood, and a man jumps into the water, a bystander, and with a rope around his waist, and he swims out to the boy, holding onto a tree. He grabs the boy, and he's now being towed back uh, by the rope towards the bank. You just get a sense of the utter peril that the, the boy is in, and indeed the guy rescuing him is in. It is, that's a true picture. It is quite a, quite a sight. Now, I don't know what happened when they got back to the bank, because they, they, they made it back safely. Um, I can just imagine that what would happen when you get back to the bank. I can imagine tears. I can imagine they'd be hugging, uh, just weeping, just shocked, standing around, just sort of uh, thankfulness from the boy, maybe from his family, to the guy who rescued him. I'm almost certain that the guy who rescued the boy didn't uh, start throwing stones at him or, or lobbing tree branches at the boy or, or even pushing him back into the river. You see, if, if you rescue someone, you don't then turn around and be horrible to them. You don't sort of push them back into the problem you saved them from. No, if you, if you rescue them, you, you love them, you give them a hug, you, you, you've, you've proved that you care about them. 
And that is just a, a poor picture of a greater picture, which is what Christ has done for us on the cross. He has demonstrated once and for all uh, his heart for the world. And that heart does not change. And he's not about to turn around and, and, and throw us into something horrible just for the sake of it, or to be ha- harsh on us or unkind. Now, behind the day-in, day-out experiences of our lives stands a loving God who does not change. God has shown us his love. Finally, we are to show his love to others. I had a very enjoyable um, afternoon yesterday. I, I sat on my sofa and I watched Scotland and destroy Italy in the rugby which doesn't happen very often. Um, but I, I love watching rugby, and um, I love it most when I'm just lying on the sofa, completely relaxed, watching other people take great lumps out of each other. Uh, I'm very much a, an armchair rugby fan. Uh, but I think, sadly, this attitude is so often the attitude that we have as Christians. We, we love Christianity. We, we love Christians. We love being around Christians. But we, we love being involved from the armchair. We, we love sitting back and watching the action from a safe distance where we're comfortable. But when, when it comes to this issue of love, we, we can't have that view of the Christian life. We can't sit back on the armchair and watch. We are called to get off the sofa and to love each other, to get involved. Uh, and that's what verse 11 is talking about. I think, look down at verse 11. Dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In other words, if we we claim to be a Christian, if we claim to have enjoyed the love of God displayed at the cross, if that is true and meaningful for us, then John's thinking we must be compelled to go and love those around us. And of course, God's love shapes our love. We're called to love each other in ways which are unprovoked, which uh, cost us, which, which means that we give up precious things, which may be painful for, for us to give, which, which will be personal, targeted towards other people. That is the benchmark of love God has shown us. We are called to love other people as we have been loved and because we have been loved. And the challenge for us this morning is to, is to not allow ourselves to be armchair Christians on this front. To, to think through, who can I love? Who can I serve practically, sacrificially, meaningfully? And notice what happens when we do this, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. It's a a complicated verse to get our heads around. I think in part it means that as we choose to love others, in a sense we are blessed ourselves by God's love dwelling in us. But I think also it means that as we, as as a body of Christ, love others around us, God's love is in a way made known to those who watch Yes, his love is made known at the cross, but in a secondary sense, as God's family love each other, we actually see his love in action made made complete in in our midst. And there are people here at St. Andrews, I won't say who they are, but you'll probably know who they are, but when you meet them and you just experience their care for you and their love, you, you just sense 
something of Christ at work in them, don't you? You see a glimpse of Christ's love worked out in their hearts and minds and attitudes. The way they just are attentive towards you and care for you and are selfless in how they act towards themselves. We are to show his love to others. Well, as we approach Valentine's Day again this year, and as we sense afresh, I think, the longing that we all have to be profoundly and deeply loved, just want to make two closing remarks, two suggestions for us, for all of us, whether we are married or single, whether we are happily married or not happily married. First of all, let, let us choose afresh this week to take our deepest, our most profound longings for love and let us take them off the shoulders of those around us, the humans that we know, and let us place it at the foot of the cross. You see, no human can bear the burden of our deepest need for love. We are all too frail for that. Let us take the deepest, the the most profound longings to the cross and let God meet them there. Whether we are married or single, happy or not happy. Second, let us choose afresh today to be conduits of God's love to others. Let us choose today that uh, we will impact people around us positively, costly, in a precious way, in a way that costs us something, that we would be conduits of God's love to those who need it around us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you afresh for the staggering and profound way in which you have shown us once and for all how you feel about the world. Father, I pray for each of us that the truth and reality of the cross would impact us this week, that we would sense in a, in a truly wonderful way your love in our hearts this week. And help us, Father, strengthened and moved by that love to love others as you would have us. We pray this for your glory. Amen.